If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 20. If you're watching from home this morning, Exodus 20 is the focal point of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And over the last few weeks we've been steadily working our way through the Ten Commandments. And at the beginning of this series we issued a bookmark entitled The Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17, and we have given the traditional wording of the commandments in the semicircle there in a lighter color, and then we have added modern interpretation in terms of how to apply and live out the commandments each day. And if you don't have this, it's available again in the literature racks as you leave this morning, or if you're watching from home, you can go onto the church website, uh, download a copy, print it off, and put it in as a handy marker as we work our way through the Ten Commandments. And so today we're coming to commandment number three. We're beginning at Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But... Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Ruth and I live across the street from two cute little girls. Gray is 12 and Kate is 7, and I've mentioned them to you in the past. And pretty regularly they will come over after they have their supper and then their bath and their onesies, and they'll bring some books to read. And we have story time together. Sometimes story time gets extended a little, and we'll play with Legos on the floor or coloring books or puzzles, or we may watch a movie together. And it's so much fun for Ruth and I because, of course, we love having the girls around. But we also enjoy feeding them full of sugar and then sending them home. And so it is just so much fun for us to hang out with them. And over the summer, we took them to the movies. And due to the COVID restrictions, there was only so many folks allowed in the movies. But that night, the entire theater was empty, just the four of us. And the girls thought this, of course, was quite magical. And on the way to the movies, Kate, the seven-year-old, is incredibly perceptive. And they had been talking about friends they had been playing with that day. And then Kate looks up at me from the back seat. I could see her in the rearview mirror. And she said, Dr. Gibbons, do you have any friends? And I thought she was incredibly, as I said, uh, perceptive. And I looked in the mirror and I could see her waiting on an answer. And I said to her, My two bestest friends live across the street. And I could see Kate turning to Gray and saying, That's us. That's us. And they were so excited. And if you have a good friend, you always speak well of your friend, do you not? 
And if you're in company at social occasion and someone brings up the name of your friend and says, do you know them? You say, yes, of course, they're one of my closest friends. And then inevitably you will go on to speak about them in glowing terms. And when we love someone, we cherish and treasure them. And that's how we treat them. We speak in glowing terms about them. And in its broadest sense, that is the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And as we love him, we refuse to do that. We refuse to take that which is sacred and holy and treat it as common in every day, quite simply because we love him. And not only do we do so on a friendship basis, but the third commandment has impacted us as a nation, a society, and a culture, in fact. So much so that we honor that name. If you've ever found yourself in a court of law and you are being sworn in as a witness, inevitably you will be asked, do you swear that the testimony you will give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And to invoke the name of God on a vow moves it to another level entirely. If you find yourself at a wedding ceremony, In fact, I had a wedding recently. I have another one coming up very soon. And I know that in the midst of all the various component parts, all of them important, all of them significant, in a wedding ceremony, there comes one part that the congregation get very quiet and listen intently as a couple step forward and take their vows. And the vows often read something like this. I, Antony, in the presence of God, and before this gathering of our family and friends, promise to love you, Jennifer, and give myself to you, forsaking all others, and to faithfully be your husband from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you so long as we both shall live. And it's that moment when a couple step forward and in the presence of God take their vows. That moves those vows to a whole new level. That's when there's a hush settles over the congregation. That's the point where ladies become tearful with joy because they know what's taking place. They know that vows become sacred Not to be broken, to be cherished and loved, to be implemented and applied to our lives each day. And we do so rightly in the presence of Almighty God. It's the climax of the wedding. No one gathers round and sheds a tear when the marriage license is signed. But it's at that point of commitment in the presence of God. And those solemn vows make for a moving moment, and rightly so. And the focus this morning of the third commandment is to remind us of the power of the name of God. If you've been a parent or a grandparent, you will know that whenever you discover that you're about to have a baby, 
Mom and Dad will take a long time choosing a name. Go online and look at lists of names. Go into a bookstore, buy a book of babies' names. You will try rehearsing the baby's name through in your mind and think now, would he be a Jennifer? Would she, would, excuse me, would he be a, an Anthony? Would she be a Jennifer? Does that feel right? And eventually you come to a, a name. And when you choose that name, that's a special moment for not only the couple, but for the entire family. But with God, it's a little different. Because he reveals his name to us. We don't choose his name. We don't go through a book. We don't think now, does this sound okay? But he reveals his name to us. And way back at the beginning of the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, there comes a very special moment. And it's a passage most of us are familiar with. When Moses was looking after sheep in the desert and God calls to Moses from the burning bush. He calls him by his name, Moses. Moses. And as Moses approaches the burning bush, God says, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Because the presence of God was right there. Lord God Almighty, as we said earlier in our prayer time, transcendent in majesty, yet imminent in grace. And he calls Moses to return to Egypt, to appeal to Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. And if you're familiar with the passage, you will know that Moses gives one excuse after another, after another, after another, why he's not the man to do it and why he shouldn't go. And eventually, when God responds to all of Moses' excuses, Moses says, but what if they don't believe me? Who shall I say has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, you are educated enough in biblical studies to know that the name I am is translated into the name Yahweh. And in fact, Orthodox Jewish people today won't use the name Yahweh as we understand the spelling. They take some of the letters out because it is held in such reverence they won't say it and won't write it. But as Christian people... We believe God's name is to be honored and used and spoken well of and lifted up and respected and treated as holy and rightly so. And we do that because of this. Because his name, I am, the Lord, is a reflection of his character and a reflection of his nature. And why is he saying, I am? Because he's saying, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. Tell my people I have heard their prayers. I am a compassionate, loving God. I will bring them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and bring them to the promised land and I will protect them. And I will equip them and I will supply their every needs because I am a God 
deeply in love with my children and I am a faithful God. I can be known and followed and loved and worshipped and adored because I am right with you right now. All of that is wrapped up in that name, I am. And when we come to the third commandment, And we read, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We take that seriously. And we take it seriously simply because we know him. And we're loved by him. And we cherish him. And we cherish his name. And we will not use it lightly or in a casual manner. And so the question is this. Do we apply that day by day by day? Not just Sunday morning, but each day in how we live out our faith. Hold that thought, I'll come back to it in a second. Let me see if I can illustrate where we're about to go. When I was in my mid-teens, 15 or 16, a very close aunt had her first child My grandmother was visiting my aunt for a few days to help with the birth of the baby and delighting, of course, in having a new wee one in the family. And when the baby was about to arrive, my aunt was still at home at that point, hadn't quite left to drive to the hospital. And when the baby was coming, my grandmother got a little flustered and she picked up the phone and dialed the hospital and she said, Hi. This is my daughter speaking. I'm about to have a baby. And of course we understand she was flustered. But she wanted to say, Hi, I'm about to have a baby. I'm going to be at the hospital in ten minutes. Be ready for me coming. That was her intent. But when she got flustered and she picked up the phone and said, This is my daughter speaking... What she was doing was this. She wanted to say, this is important, but in the back of her mind, she could not pretend to be someone else. She couldn't pretend to use someone else's name. And so she simply said, this is my daughter speaking. And of course, you can imagine the operator on the other side of the line having a smile at that. When we invoke someone's name, when we say, so help me God... We take that very seriously. So seriously, in fact, if you're in a court of law, you can be charged with perjury if you willfully tell a lie after taking that oath. And here is God likewise saying, be very, very careful when you take my name in vain. You must not use that which is holy and sacred. And please hear this. And allow me to be as strong as I possibly can. If you find yourself in the habit of taking God's name in vain, please let me encourage you to stop it and stop it today. His name is never to be reduced to a curse word are used in a blasphemous sense. That line is never to be crossed. And here is God building in a healthy warning. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain. And reducing it to such is just 
awful. And you may be saying, okay, Richard, I think I've got it. I understand what you're saying. It's pretty clear from the commandment. But there's a second part of the commandment that I'm not sure I understand. Where it says, not only shall you not misuse the name of the Lord your God, but it then goes on to say, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And I can see that certainly if we use it in a blasphemous sense or as a cuss word. But is there something else going on there? Well, actually there is. And it's much subtler than you might first imagine. And it focuses on that misuse of God's name. And sometimes I see it and come across it, and it is, as I said, very subtle, but I think at times we're tempted to misuse his name in ways we don't immediately see. And sometimes it happens in this way. Most of us, of course, go through periods where we are thinking of moving home, perhaps starting a family, the other end of life, thinking of retiring, or we're facing a particular challenge or difficulty in our lives. And we pray about it. And as Christian folks, we should. And the more we pray and the more we seek the leading and guiding and directing of God, the more dependent on Him we become. And that is a healthy process. But from time to time we find ourselves crossing a line and we come to a settled conviction where we say to someone else, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. Sometimes someone will say to me, Richard, the Lord has told me to tell you, you have to do this or that. And in their discerning process, as they see a situation or circumstance develop, they come to a deep conviction that they themselves understand the solution and in passionately wanting a solution, they invoke the name of God. We need to be awfully, awfully careful when we take the name of God and add it on to what we already want to do. And we sometimes cross that line and misuse his name. Is he a sovereign, powerful God whom we can rely on? Absolutely. He is the great I, I Am. His name highlights for us his self-existence, his self-sufficiency, his absolute power and sovereignty. And our job is to trust him profoundly, hold on to him, allow him to take the lead and follow his directing and guiding rather than take his name and put it on as an appendix to something we want to do already. And if I'm on sensitive ground with you this morning, let me move a little further onto thin ice. Do we ever find ourselves doing such a thing when it comes to politics? Using the name of God as a mascot to a political party we believe in? 
Do we ever take the name of God and apply it to a family situation when we want to go in one particular direction and our family is uncertain and so we invoke his name to get our way or a situation at work or in our neighborhood? Folks, we have absolutely no right to play fast and loose with the name of God. And remember the latter part of the passage, it says, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And you'll be saying, okay, Richard, I hear your warning. It protects us, and I see that. But what do you mean by the second, or what is meant, rather, by the second part of the commandment? It's what grammarians call a meiosis. Meiosis is a euphemistic figure of speech that intentionally understates something or implies that it is lesser in significance or size than it really is. Now, what I mean by that, let me give you an illustration. Meiosis is that euphemistic understatement where you find yourself in a situation and you want to take a particular course of action and someone in authority will look at you and say... I wouldn't do that if I was you. And at that point you think, okay, I understand what they're saying. They can see something I can't see here. They understand the significance of the action I'm about to take. And they're telling me, slow down, be careful. That's what's happening right here. It's as if God is saying, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. I wouldn't do that if I was you as God takes that incredibly seriously. And if you find yourself doing that, you need to break that habit. You need to pull back very quickly. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I've listened to all you've said this morning. I think I've got it. When God warns us, he warns us for a reason. It's to protect us and keep us safe and not to cross that line to using his name as a curse word or in a blasphemous way or even to attach his name to something I want to do. That's a healthy warning. We should never take that which is holy and make it trite or trivial or shallow. You may also be saying, okay, Richard, you've lined up for us what the commandment's against. Is there anything the commandment is for? Give me something I can practice this week. Give me something I can do. Allow me to take the commandment, apply it to my life, live it out day by day by day. Well, if that's the question you're asking, let me try and wrap up our study this morning with a focus on what it asks us to do as opposed to what it tells us not to do. The second commandment has at its heart a deeply comforting truth. And the truth is this, and we see it in the language. You shall not misuse the name of who? The Lord your God. The great I am, who is self-sufficient, who is supreme in power and sovereignty and majesty, who is self-existent. And his name, as we said earlier, as each of the commandments highlights for us, points out his nature and his character. 
please understand this, that the Lord your God is never restricted to praise or favorite hymns on Sunday morning. He's never limited to moments of prayer in a worship service. But he leads and guides and directs us on Monday morning every way, every, in the same way he does on Sunday morning. And he's never limited to an 8.30 service or 10.45 or 11. He is in fact the great I Am. He is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And we know him and love him and follow him because he is a personal God, deeply personal, never limited to Sunday morning and never limited by the restrictions and circumstances of our life. He's so much greater than that. He's also God of the terminal illness. He's also God of the long goodbye of dementia. He's also God of the complicated grief of suicide. And He's also God of the brokenhearted. Let me close with one of my favorite poems on the name of God, and it reads like this. I was regretting the past and fearing the future. And suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I'm not there. My name is not I Was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, It's hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. The Lord your God. We honor Him. We respect Him. We love Him. We talk well of Him. Because He first loved us. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this reminder from the third commandment this morning that we should never treat you or your name in a casual or offhand manner. Father, help us please this week to remind ourselves and to profoundly trust in you that you are the great I am sufficient for our every need. Father, allow us, please, to live out our faith this week, giving glory and honor to you, quite simply because we love you and we want to exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. I am.